Isn't it great to be in the house of God on Easter Sunday morning? <clears throat> you know, in October, we're going to have a mortgage burning to burn the mortgage on this building six years after. That wouldn't be possible without the power of the Lord working it to make it possible and the generosity of His people. And I was just wondering if maybe after the service today you wanted to have a mask burning. Maybe we could do that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we won't go there, but thank God it's Easter. Thank God. I've been, you know, remembering Jesus uh, when he told his disciples on the night of his betrayal before they took the Seder feast. He said, I've been eagerly desiring to have this feast with you. Well, me, your pastor, has been eagerly desiring to have Easter Sunday service with the people of God in the house of God. We missed it last year, but it's even more sweet this year. Jesus was alive last year. He's alive today. We celebrate his resurrection 365 days a year, 366 on leap year. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm thankful. Matthew 28, our text today in Matthew 28, verse 5 particularly says that the angel said to the women that were there who were shocked at his, uh, that he was there, and they, he said, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. Can I tell you that the risen Christ, the Word of God tells us, is seated at the right hand of God ever to make intercession for us. Can I also tell you that the omnipresent Spirit of Christ is in the house of God today among His people? Amen? That He is here today. You know, the belief in the resurrection was understood even in the Old Testament. Job, in all his distress, when Job had been tried, he had lost his wealth, he had lost his children, he had lost uh, the, everything that was precious to him. And the bad news, only one person each time left to come and share the bad news with him. Sometimes that's the way it is. Some people just bear bad news. And Job, in his distress, when he lost his health, his wealth, his family, his wife told him to curse God and die, just give it up, stop believing in a God like that. But he said, oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, my heart faints within me. Job longed for the day when everything that he held dear was lost. He had one thing that was solid, one thing that was unchanging, one thing that would never go away, never be destroyed, and that was his faith in God, that he knew that there was a resurrection and that day we have that would soon die maybe, but he would stand and see the Lord face to face one day. We have that hope and that promise that God has given to us. The psalmist David wrote in 16, 9, and 10, says, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Why? Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. God is going to, those who believe in him, raise from the dead victorious over the grave as he was. Dr. Milton, uh, Michael Milton writes of the resurrection that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the undeniable centering point of all Christianity, the defining doctrine of our faith, and the most audacious claim in the history of the world, a God-man sent from heaven, crucified in the most public way, dead 
and buried in a rich man's tomb for three days, three nights, which sepulcher was sealed with the inscrutable security by the mighty military powers of the Roman Empire. And then a dead man who called himself the Almighty God lives. The corporal person of Jesus of Nazareth exists today. He is not buried. He lives. He is in a resurrected body. And even more astounding, he says, is because he lives, all who die with faith in him will also rise bodily joined to the soul. There is no question, none whatever, uh, about whether this resurrection of the Nazarene is, the, is metaphorical or physical. The scriptural account points out that over 500 people saw him before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection, many of whom lived until the twilight of the first century could have exposed it as a lie that the apostles and those who preached Christ were spreading. But there was no argument against the historical account that Jesus Christ, who was dead, buried three days and three nights in a borrowed tomb, was raised from the dead, victorious over death and hell the third day. Where the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death and the burial and the resurrection has been preached, the church throughout the centuries grew by leaps and bounds. In the apostle age, when the apostles were imprisoned, their jail cells became chapels. Revival broke out in the cells. Paul and Silas, when they were locked up in stocks in Ephesus and were put into the lower part of the prison after being beat with many stripes, at midnight, you remember the story, they begin to sing psalms and hymns, they begin to praise the Lord and to pray, and an earthquake came and shook that prison door, opened all the prison gates, their shackles fell off, it was the risen Christ responding to the worship and the praise, the sacrifice of praise of his people who were in bondage. The jailer himself and all his household got saved. I believe the prisoners got saved when they witnessed the power of the risen Christ in action. Somebody say amen. Listen, you could bind them into shackles and chains, and their prisons became parishes. Dispatch the most highly trained and most loyal palace guards, the Praetorian Guard, and their captors became believers. They became Christians. To the utter dismay and the violent antagonists, lengthy imprisonments followed. A kangaroo court trials were resulting in the faith of Jesus Christ, even by the highest officials in the realm throughout the early years of Christianity and into the centuries. Listen, the resurrection of Christ from the dead changed everything. Changed everything. Nothing would ever be the same after Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rose from the dead victorious over the grave. Apostles, men and women, boys and girls throughout the centuries, especially in those early years, gave their lives as martyrs, were tortured and persecuted for the sake of Christ, not renouncing or giving up their faith in the heat of that moment. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 7, is where we're going to get our text today, and it reveals that in this that I want to talk about, is I want to talk about three great things that are pointed out there. There was a great earthquake. There was a great earthquake on that morning. There was also great fear. There was great fear. And thirdly, there was a great commissioning that is given in, these text, in this text today. First of all, there was a great earthquake. In verses 1 through 3, let us read together. It says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the tomb. 
And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone from the door, from the entrance of the door, and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. You know, somebody said once, I don't know who, who wrote this, but the earth, which trembled with horror at the death of Christ on Good Friday, now leaps for joy uh, at the earthquake of resurrection morning. And I say amen to that. There was Good Friday's earthquake. Remember another earthquake just a few days before that. On the previous Friday at about noon, the day, uh, the day sky turned dark and turned black when Jesus then cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was that moment on the cross when Jesus, had, who had been crucified, he had been tortured and whipped and beat over the previous day, and then he's nailed to the cross, and as he's hanging there between heaven and earth, the, the supernatural, powerful Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb of God without spot or blemish, dying for the sins of the world. And as the sins of the world were laid upon him on the cross, he, paying the penalty for our guiltiness, for our sins, he took it upon himself. The Father, the first person of the Godhead, turned his back on the second person of the Godhead, the Son, for the first time in eternity. And in his greatest agony of all in his soul was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can I tell you that at that very moment, Jesus experienced for you and for me the greatest punishment that we could ever hope to even endure is that is separation from God. God turning his back on us, turning away from us. He suffered the ultimate rejection so that we might experience the ultimate acceptance from a holy God. And I'm so thankful for that. Aren't you thankful for that? When he cried out that, think of the agony of in his soul. And then as Jesus took his last breath, the scriptures tell us then that the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised from the dead, and they began to testify about Jesus Christ as they went up and down the streets of that day. You know, we see this so clearly in the Scripture, that when the veil was rent in two, this was the thick, heavy veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was be, which symbolized the very presence of God. You know, a statement was made by Almighty God. It resonated and it sounded throughout and echoed even into the lowest parts of hell, so the devil and his minions could even hear it, as the veil is ripped from top to bottom, separating, that once separated us from the presence of God, we now have access to the very throne of God because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. He took it out of the way. The veil is removed. We can approach God to receive help and mercy in a time of need. We have fellowship with him now because of the cross. Well, that earthquake that took place there had wonderful supernatural effects. And Easter morning's earthquake spoke another message. It spoke a message that reverberated into the lower parts of hell is that he who you thought was dead is now alive. I think the devil and his minions quaked in their boots. I think they ran for cover. What they didn't expect happened. What they hoped would never take place took place. And that is that God raised Jesus Christ up from the dead, victorious over a grave, and he took the keys of uh, hell and of death from the devil. Amen, amen. Matthew notes that when the earthquake rocked the earth, it ripped open the tomb. 
and scared the living daylights out of some pretty strong manly men, Roman soldiers. They lay on the ground. They shook from the very core of their being in terror and fear of the angel that stood there and the earthquake that took place. The quake that announced to the guards that life cannot be sealed up in the tomb. The guards that made were made aware that the most powerful army that they were a part of in the world could not seal the grave of the Son of the living God. The quake announced to hell that the game was lost. He who was dead now lives forevermore. And it announces to death and hell that Christ's death and the resurrection, that eternal life is available to all who trust in Christ as Savior. That he who was dead was alive. It gives hope to us who will die and face a mortal death, but we will live forever. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 and 21 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead, and he became what? the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. In other words, Jesus Christ turned back and made atonement for Adam's sin in the garden so that spiritual death that had entered and physical death that came because of sin was now going to be taken away by the second Adam, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He paid the penalty. It's paid in full. There was also, secondly, not only a great earthquake, but there was great fear. Verse 4 says, the guards shook with fear of him and became like dead men. The women were also frightened, but that was a holy fear and a reverence towards God. You know, uh, the Roman guards' reaction to what they could not control. Have you ever been in a place, in a situation that you cannot control. Circumstances and events just seem to spin out of control. It seems like just, you know, you want to fix things, but you can't. Sometimes that happens with uh, uh, diminishing health. It happens when sickness or disease comes. Sometimes it happens when the company you've worked for is laying you off and you don't have a job anymore. Sometimes it happens when relationships fall apart, marriages break up, and sometimes it happens when children run a, go astray and they leave the faith and they leave home kind of angry and they reject you as parents and as grandparents. But I can tell you something. That circumstances that we can't control, we can remember that Jesus Christ is still sitting on the throne. The ever-living one is there to make intercession for us. He is there when we are out of control. Can I tell you something, some good news? He is never out of control. He is always on top of things. He is never blindsided. He is never under the circumstances. He is always on top of the circumstances. In fact, the Word of God says in Ephesians chapter 2 that He is seated high above all principles principality and power, and we are up there with him because he raised us up where Christ is when we trusted in him. You don't have to be under the circumstances. You're on top with Christ. Amen? You are not the tail, but you are the head because of Christ and his resurrection. You are born again. Who are born again are born again unto eternal life. Even hell and death is afraid of you. Somebody say amen. It's not because you're so strong. It's because he is so strong. And Christ is in me, the hope of glory, the hope of eternal life. And so praise God for that. Praise God. The angels, when the angels showed up, the angels showed up, the guards became silent. I remember when Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane the Friday before when he was arrested by the guards and Judas had betrayed him and the guards come in and Jesus gets up at one point and he kind of just breathes. And they, all these guards, they fall to the ground like dominoes. It was the presence of the holy God. 
the presence of Jesus Christ. Jesus was putting hell on notice, is that you might raise these enemies of God up to come after me, but I'm not going with them because they're taking me. I'm going with them because I choose to give my life a ransom for many. He is never taken off guard. He was never taken prison. He gave himself to fulfill the eternal plan of God for salvation for lost humanity. Jesus Christ is alive in your circumstances that you are out of control. Remember, he is in control, and we have a God to go to, to pray to, to cry out to, who can help us in our time of need. A, a dead God couldn't do that, but a living God can. Matthew 28, 5 and 6 says, the angel said, Do not be afraid to the women, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen as he said. He told you he was going to raise from the dead. Somehow that went into the ears of the disciples and it floated around for a little bit and it floated out the other side because they still didn't get it. But they would get it when they see the risen Christ. Uh, they received comfort and good news. They were invited, the women were invited into the tomb to see where he once lay. He was not there now, but you can come in and see where he is, so you can see that the tomb is empty. Can I just tell you today that today through, uh, you could travel throughout the world and you could travel to see the tombs, and the burial places of all the great men and women uh, from aeons, centuries gone by. And no matter how powerful they were, some are celebrated and elevated to godship that they're gods. You can go to Muhammad's tomb and he's there. His body is still there. You can go to Buddha's tomb and he's still there. You can go see Lenin's body and he's still there. He's dead. He's dead. Ding dong, you know. <laughs> Massacred millions. Ding dong, the witch is dead and he is going to face a judgment that he never expected in his life because of his sins. But thank God, Jesus Christ is not in the tomb that he was buried in. Somebody say amen. He's alive. <clears throat> there was a great earthquake. And listen, there was, there was an incredible fear that took place. But the fear, he, he uh, eased their fears by telling them, that Jesus Christ is alive forevermore, and they were given a message of hope. Listen to me. Death does not have the last word. Pilate did not have the last word. Herod did not have the last word. Caesar did not have the last word. God has the last word. He's ruling on his throne. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. There was also a great commission that was given. We are given a great commission, but the commission given to them by the angel was to go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. Be the bearer of good news. What an honor it must have been for the women who were really in most societies that back then were marginalized as being kind of unimportant and, and not too important to do anything, but they were the first to announce that Jesus Christ is not in the grave, that he is risen. The angel told us so. So they went quickly. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear, but also with great joy, great joy, and ran to bring his disciples word that Jesus is alive, and he's going to meet you in Galilee later. You're going to see him face to face. You're going to be able to touch the prints that are in his hands and the, in his feet. You're going to be able to talk to him and share with him, and he's going to share with you the things that he will remind you of. We have a message of hope. We have the 
the, uh, been given the privilege of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, the church of Jesus Christ, who have tasted and seen that God is good. We who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and the spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead is in our mortal bodies to give us hope and encouragement and anointing. The spirit of God has given us, listen, the, the, the mandate to tell people about Jesus Christ. We have the keys with the gospel of the resurrection to open up prison cells where people are trapped in their sin and the fear of death and judgment. The message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ Christ is the answer for every man, for every woman, for every boy, and for every girl. The women ran with fear and great joy to tell the disciples who answered the call to preach the good news to all nations. Listen, they, de- they overcame their fears, and under the anointing from the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, in the spirit of boldness, they gave their lives for the message of the gospel. In fact, history records that all of the apostles would, be, would, be, would die as a martyr's deaths for preaching Christ and the message of the resurrection except for John the Beloved who would suffer great persecution and great pain for preaching the gospel and he would eventually die an old man in Ephesus. The apostle Thomas would go to India and be martyred at modern day Shanghai. Mark went to Egypt and died while preaching eternal life in Christ. The Roman Empire had built its fortunes on the cult of the Roman Empire, that he was a god and people needed to submit to him and treat him as a god. But within years after the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, despite unprecedented persecution and intimidation, the amphitheaters that were constructed to kill Christians for bloodthirsty sport became magnificent stadiums, veritable giant pulpits and sanctuaries to preach the message of Jesus Christ, to proclaim him risen from the dead. I have recently read that the very same underground stone cages uh, under the amphitheaters there, the Colosseum in Rome, were built for ferocious bears, to hold ferocious bears and other wild animals to tear Christians to shreds and to devour their bones, their, to their bones in front of the cheering crowds uh, are seen where cages, where the bears were, are now cages where they were transformed literally into chapels by the church of Jesus Christ in that day. And, and when Bible stories are embedded, we're told, on the walls in those cages and still lumi- with still luminous mosaics and baptismal fonts and communion tables of stone that were once used to hold the wild animals, and to destroy Christians with terrible, bloodthirsty deaths. What was meant for evil? Can I just tell you again? God meant for good. What was used for evil and built for evil, God turned into good. The destruction of of Christianity uh, was intended for the destruction of Christianity became a platform to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we today, 21st century, in this 21st century of so-called enlightenment. It seems like no matter how wise the world thinks they're getting, the dumber they get. You know, the dumb things they do. You know, Forrest Gump's mama told him, you know, oh, Forrest, stupid is as stupid does. We see a lot of stupid things, don't we? And they think they're wise. We don't want to be wise in this world's wisdom, but we want to be wise in the eyes of God. And the wisdom of Christ says that there is one who died for the sins of the world, one who suffered 
whose stripes laid on his back were for our healing. He who died on a bloody cross was buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later he rose from the dead, victorious over the grave, forevermore and lives forever. And we follow in his uh, first fruits, we, first fruits uh, that we also will share in the resurrection of the dead. We are given a message of comfort that this life is not all that there is. You know, there's people living on the edge every day, even in America. People who have everything in the richest nation in the history of mankind. Oftentimes, people find no reason to live. They despair of life. They turn to drugs and alcohol and other life-controlling vices to try to find some semblance of joy in living, to try to figure it all out when it's really so simple. Is that there's a God in heaven who created us after his own likeness and after his own image, male and female, he created they them, two sexes, not 27 or however many they want to create in their human wisdom, two male and female created them. They were married, and, and, uh, but the first they sinned, but God performed a miracle of grace and mercy by sending Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for their sins. This is the good news that we have. They that, uh, you know, one day, you know, those who believe in Jesus Christ will be reunited with our loved ones who have died before still believing in Christ for salvation. You know how many times I read this scripture, I never, it never gets old for me. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 and 17, Paul tells us when somebody dies, don't grieve like those who have no hope for we who believe in Jesus Christ have hope. Let me just tell you, he said, for this reason, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven. What's he saying? That Jesus Christ came as Lord and Savior, as a sacrifice for our sin. But Jesus Christ will come a second time in great power and great glory with ten thousands of his saints, Jude tells us. He'll be riding a white horse, a war horse, instead of a donkey up to Jerusalem. He'll be riding a war horse, and his eyes, listen to me, will be a flames of fire. And he is the King of kings and Lord of lords uh, on his uh, horse, is written there. But he's coming down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And first, he says, the believers, those who had trusted in Christ, who have died and been buried in their graves, will rise up from their graves. Up from the grave we'll arise. Somebody say amen. And he says, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. Somebody give a shout to the Lord. Amen. Awesome. Looking forward to the day when Jesus returns again. You know what that means to me? That means so much to me. I hope it means as much to you who trusted in Christ. It means that one day I'm going to see my grandpa more. He died way back in the middle 70s before Don and I were married, probably in 75, early in 75. I'm going to see, he got saved on his deathbed. Did you know that? He who mocked Christianity, mocked my grandmother who had got saved several years earlier, made fun of her and just, you know, kind of mock. well, you just have to kind of live a good life and you'll go to heaven. But there came a time when God gave him special mercy. Aren't you glad for the mercy of God? And he, he had his appendix burst at an old age and, and, uh, Anyway, it, uh, he ended up uh, with paraffinitis, and he was in a, in a hospital for a long time, and then the nursing home kind of withering away. And each time the Assembly of God pastor would come to, the, to visit him, he would talk to him about the Lord, and my grandpa would say, well, maybe tomorrow, come back tomorrow. Well, you know what happened? The Assembly of God pastor got together with the Baptist pastor, and they weren't on friendly terms because they didn't believe in the baptism, the spirit, or the gifts, and there was a lot of, you know, we don't... We don't hang out together, you know? But listen, they got together for one purpose, for the purpose of that man's soul. And they came into his room one more time. 
And they told my grandpa again about salvation and how that, you know, Mr. Moore, when you die, you're going to either go to heaven or hell, but you, if you trust in Jesus. And my grandpa said, well, maybe you can come back tomorrow. And I'm so thankful for Baptist, aren't you? That Baptist pastor pointed a finger in my grandpa and he said, Mr. Moore, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. And my grandpa looked at him and stared and he said, you're right. For the last several days, where you're standing at the end of my bed, Jesus Christ has been standing. I'm going to pray. And he accepted Christ as Savior. Uh, some days later, he passed away, but I know my grandpa's not dead. He's in heaven. Amen. I'm going to see him one day. Same thing with my dad, who rejected Christ for so many years and mocked those who trusted him. And yet, when he was dying, it was my privilege to lead him to salvation in his hospital bed in the ICU unit of KU Med Center. He repented of his sins, and my dad is in heaven today. I'm going to see him one day. That's the hope of eternal life and the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm going to see my grandma Moore one day, who trusted in Christ at an old age. But when she heard the good news preached at an Assembly of God church in York, Nebraska, she got invited by her brother and sister-in-law, and she found Christ as her Savior and Lord with many of my aunts and uncles there at that little church. I'm going to see my mother who trusted in Christ as Savior at a little church called Faith Fellowship, a little church in Liberty, Missouri, and she died at the age of 79 years ago, several years ago, but I'm looking forward to seeing her face to face one day and trusting in, as because we trusted in Christ because she passed from death to life. When she left her mortal body, the bodies in a grave, but her eternal soul is, is with the Lord. And one day when Jesus comes, her she's going to rise up out of her grave as well. Pastor Fest, my spiritual dad, and my pastor who performed our wedding ceremony, uh, August 9th, 1975, died a few years ago on Christmas. He's in heaven waiting for us with other loved ones from this life to greet. They will greet me when I cross over, when I give up the ghost and pass from death to life because of my trust in Jesus Christ. There's going to be a reunion. In fact, I can tell you there's reunions every day and every night as the people who believe in Jesus in this life pass from death to life into eternity, meet their loved ones again. Aren't you glad that you're going to see your loved ones again when you trust in Jesus? This is the gracious offer of eternal life to all who repent and believe and confess their sins and believe in Jesus Christ that he is raised from the dead. And a message that is a very powerful message about faith that we preach. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back as I'm closing here, but Romans chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 tells us, if you don't know Christ as Savior, can I tell you that he is alive? He's not in the tomb. He is raised from the dead. He is seated at, next to his heavenly Father in heaven, on the throne in heaven. He's praying for those who believe in him, and he is there for you. The blood that he spilt on Calvary's cross is strong enough atonement to pay the penalty of all the filthy, dirty, rotten, filthy things that you have ever done. I used to think when I was backslidden and wanted to go back to the Lord that I'd gone too far. My sin is too deep. It's too awful. God doesn't want me anymore. But can I tell you that was a lie from hell? Is that you cannot stray so far from the love of God that his saving arm cannot reach you. I'm talking to you at home today watching on live stream as well. Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sins with his shed blood. 
All you have to do is believe on him. Cleanse, be cleansed from your sins by repenting of your sins and renouncing them. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 says this, that if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Eternal damnation in hell. Eternal damnation and judgment. He says in verse 10, for it is by believing in your heart and, and, and openly declare him with your mouth that you're saved. See, that's all you have to do. Romans 10, 13 says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how rich or how poor you are. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter how deep you've gone into sin or how righteous you have tried to live. We need a Savior. We need forgiveness. We need the cleansing from His blood from the cross. We need eternal life that only He can give. The only alternative is death or life. you got two choices. That makes it really, really easy. I mean, it's not hard. God gives you a test, and He gives you the right answer. Some people say it's too good to be true. There must be some kind of trick question here. No, it's so easy. Even a wafering fool can find Christ as Savior. Somebody say, man, this is awesome news. You don't have to wait to be good enough. You'll never be good enough. You just have to be good enough in His righteousness. When you accept Christ as Savior, He covers you with His blood and His righteous robes are placed upon you. It is a free gift. You don't have to buy it. You could never afford it. But just simply choosing of your own free will to say, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe He's the Son of God. I believe He died on Calvary's cross for me. That His innocent blood that was shed is the atoning sacrifice that covers and washes away my sin. That's all you have to believe. Trust in Him today. Can I beg you? Can I urge you? Can I plead with you to do it? Moses from the Old Testament, Joshua, his successor, in their farewell address to the children of Israel, said this, same thing. Today I set before you life or death, blessing or cursing, and both of them gave the right answer. Choose life. Choose blessing. Who in their right mind would choose death and cursing? But people do it every day by rejecting the free gift God gives to them. Somebody says, well, maybe if I'm good enough, God will forgive me. No, you'll never be good enough. Christ became sin so that you might be called the righteousness of God in Christ. It is only through His righteousness that you're ever good enough. I'm just begging you to make the right choice today. Bow your heads in prayer today, would you please? What the resurrection of Jesus Christ means is simply that anyone, Jesus said, who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked the most important question of all. He asked, do you believe this? Now, he was talking to Martha after the death of her brother, Lazarus who Jesus raised from the dead. But Jesus told her, anyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he said, do you believe this? You know, it's easy to just make blanket statements and just come to 
giving assent to something, some kind of Christian dogma, but it's, do you believe this in your heart? Do you believe this with such conviction that you're going to openly declare that Jesus is Lord and turn your life over to Him, turning your back on your sin and your former life to live the rest of your life to honor Him? Do you believe this? What are you going to do with the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? I'm going to give you an opportunity today in this service, just pretty much packed in here today, thank God for that, for you to simply raise your hand quickly and say, Pastor, I want to pray to receive Jesus today as my Savior. I want to repent of my sins and receive Christ. Would you raise your hand quickly and let me see your hand? I'm speaking to a few people in here that you've made all your own decisions. Your life has been shipwrecked. You've had one bad thing happen to you after another. I can tell you, put your faith and trust in Christ today. Let him change your life and transform you. Would you do that today? Amen. I'm going to ask each and every person to pray with us here this morning. I'm going to ask you right now, and those up here, just look at me. I want you to just pray this simple prayer. That's all you have to do. It, it's easy. Hey, I just tell you, to trust in Jesus. We make it so hard. But all you have to do is trust in Christ as Savior. I'm talking to you at home today. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confess with your mouth and you're saved. Let's pray together. Pray this prayer out loud, everyone. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for my sins. You died on Calvary's cross. Your innocent blood was spilt for me. Lord Jesus, cleanse my sins. Write my name in your book in heaven. And save my soul. Come inside of me, Lord Jesus. And make me a new person. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give me pray. Amen. Amen.